Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, we take some time to discuss something, frankly, I'm quite excited for. In our industry, new materials for body jewelry are not something that happen every day. Therefore, when something does come across the horizon, it is a cause for excitement, and more importantly, a time to ask questions. We sit down with former guest and jewelry maker, Jared Carnes of One Tribe Jewelry. Jared and I discuss how his new line of jewelry coming out is made of a material we don't see very often. That material is clay. We discuss the concerns I and we as a community have about the announcement of this material and the history of it within our industry. So without further ado, listen in as we ask what really goes into developing a new material for body jewelry, hear about how much math it takes to produce a single pair of plugs, and my own personal experiences with clay plugs. So for our listeners, we have had this guest on a whole bunch of times and every single time is an absolute pleasure because I get to pick their brain about a plethora of different topics and kind of geek out over the, the nerd stuff that involves making jewelry. Actually, uh, why don't you go ahead, Jared, and just introduce yourself and your company for our first time listeners, uh, just so they can get a, a handle of who you are. Hi, my name is Jared Parts. I'm the owner and uh, now Soul Maker at a little company called One Tribe, which will be 17 years old next month. That's so rad. I, you know, it's it's really funny to me because I remember when I was younger and what am I now? I'm old as dirt, 36, 36, <laughs> I think. And I remember when I was in college, BME stuff and like, you know, the few years following that. And I remember seeing One Tribe all the time and I was like, I'll never be able to like get those pieces because I was in college and had no money. And then it's really cracks me up because now almost my entire collection is yours because I, I save up and then I grab them <laughs> and you just keep coming out with new lines. And that is my perfect segue into the next thing. Actually, I'm really excited to talk about this because one, you kind of have a history of winning the innovation awards when it comes to uh, the Association <laughs> of Professional Piercers Conference. Uh, yeah. I think all the years that I've gone, you've won, maybe you, oh, you are Jason. Maybe, so Maybe you're my good luck charm. No, that is definitely not the case, good sir. But um, yeah, I'm really excited because you are actually going to start using a new material. And I'm really interested in this. I have like a few questions about it um, that, you know, honestly, only you can answer because you're the one who works with the material. And knowing you and our conversations in the past, you kind of research things almost as bad as I do. And by bad, I mean exhaustively so. <laughs> so yeah. uh, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners uh, about the new material that you are going to be launching soon? I will do. So 
I have a confession to make. I've become absolutely smitten with clay. It's an amazing medium. It's something that I had never really worked uh, raw in terms of soft clay until recently. And I've just completely fallen in love with the material, the process, and the possibilities. So last year I launched uh, as sort of a test my ceramic body jewelry displays, the crisp displays. Right. And those those are my favorite uh, out of out of all of the materials because I think the colors of the glazes that you can use for it combined with the look of straight quartz crystal type like uh, quartz formations, I, I really think it gives it a unique touch because it's a little bit of nature when it's combined with a little bit of style. But then the funny part is, is that it's clay and it comes from the earth anyway. So it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very funny to me that it, it encompasses all those different things. Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun making those. I love the shapes. I love the colors and being able to make crystalline forms, which I've been obsessed with forever in, in colors that I don't see in natural stone has been a lot of fun. Just, you know, I'm constantly looking at these structures and going, oh, I wish that was, you know, pink orange or, you know, what if that thing that was clear looked cobalt blue? Um, and that project gives me a chance to just kind of play to make those things and uh, to finally get to see them. I think that's really great. And I I think one of the things that I find the most appealing about this entire thing is the fact that if anyone follows you on on Instagram, whether it be your personal account or your business account, the clay working, uh, I don't know if that's the term for it, but that's the one that I'm going to use, uh, are working with clay in general, is your recharge. So like the thing you do to relax. And I think it's very funny that naturally you went from this relaxes me to actually making it be something that is productive that is going <laughs> to help you out in the long run. And I think That's you're one of the few individuals that, yeah, that just drift towards that naturally because I, I do the same exact thing whenever I'm trying to do anything. <laughs> um, so as far as ceramics concerns, you know, I really, I fell in love with the material. I started making the displays, uh, challenged myself to learn some new techniques. And then the sort of end game for that was body jewelry. So I have started making uh, ceramic, in particular porcelain, body jewelry, um, which has been on my to-do list for years. I was having discussions with my staff about the potential for ceramic and body jewelry in the neighborhood of 2010. I have some meeting notes from a little bit before that. And then shortly after that, I started carving porcelain like a stone, which worked remarkably well. And so this was kind of a natural evolution of that thing that's been on the side for a really long time. And now that I've kind of gotten my hands dirty with the material, with the process, and really had a chance to dive into the just outrageous amount of technicality, of, of stuff to learn, of research, of chemistry, it's just been so much fun. And I'm really looking forward to continuing down that pathway and learning more and then applying those things and all the troubleshooting an iteration that comes along with it. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have to say when you, and, and this is always my two cents, when you think about our industry and you think about new materials, it's so rare for new things to pop up. And I, I feel that's because 
body piercing has been around for a very long time. So a lot of those natural materials and woods and stones and glass and and metals have been around for a long time. And then you have like a few things that pop up, uh, you know, like whether they're like the silicone plugs or like rhodium on top of gold and and things like that. I can, honestly don't think I can remember the last time where something came to fruition that was so far out of what I would consider body jewelry to enter into the realm of it. And I, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited, obviously, as you can tell by my enthusiasm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. And I, I think, you know, like you stated previously, there was a little bit, let's actually, let's phrase it like this. There was a lot of excitement when your displays came because everyone was like, what is this? What can I do with it? I wonder what else they, you know, one tribe, Jared himself, uh, and the such could could do with that. And let me ask you, when was the last time that a material came out such as this that was so new that not many folks had either done it before or you're the the first and I'm I'm doing air quotes, you can't see them, but the first individual to try <laughs> it and produce it, let's say, to market. Let's go with let's go with that. And there could be someone that did it before, but uh, mm -hmm. in my eyes, and like I said, in my opinion, this is the first time I've seen it. Yeah, I'm I'm just absolutely blown away by the fact that this material is something that we can introduce into the realm of of body jewelry. Yeah, you know the funny thing about that is ceramic, sort of more primitive ceramic, a lot of uh, earthenware, more porous stuff. Um, but ceramic is one of the first body adornment materials. Um, I've got pairs of ceramic pre-hispanic earplugs um i've seen some really beautiful pieces in the museum um the museum of anthropology down in mexico um i know i've seen asian ceramics as body jewelry so this is something that happened you know hundreds thousands of years ago but has been under the radar for a long time um in large part because as the technology developed further in ceramic and more metal colorants started to become used it got a lot more difficult to make something that was safe for the body and particularly there used to be um a lot of lead things like lead bisilicate which is a a lead silica um particle that is a really good flux so it helps glazes to melt at a much lower temperature than a lot of others um, there are materials like that 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 work very well in ceramic and were actually um, safe in ceramic, but uh, they've got a bad name, and rightly so. And that's not something that you really want to be wearing against the skin. So I think there's been a bias for a long time against ceramic um, because not many people had had done it safely and really talked about why it was safe. Yeah, as far as as far as being first, I do have to say. I am not the first person to do this. There are a couple of folks that do it. There's, um, I know there's at least two or three folks in Europe that have been working on ceramic. Um, one that I know of right offhand, New Skull Ceramic out of France, I think, um, does a lot of porcelain stuff. I think most of his stuff is, is polished. I don't know if it's glazed or not. Um, there's also someone making oil diffuser plugs, which is kind of weird. I don't know that I really get that, but whatever um people can do their thing um hollow pieces where you can uh supply some drops of essential oil into the hole in the back um and then you have plugs that smell good you know 
that's cool, I guess. It's clever because it's just making use of a of a feature that would be there anyway. I think all those pieces are slip cast, so they have to have holes in them. And that seemed like a pretty good way to use it. So it's been done before. Uh, historically, it's been done. But I don't see anybody really pushing the medium, really saying, you know, how far can we take this? What else can we make out of it? And how can we do it safely? And that's been a big, um, that's been the thing on my plate essentially for most of this year. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of bounce around uh, from my outline here. Why don't go ahead and just dive right into the concerns about being ceramic. When I bring that up, the three big things that come up to mind is the glaze itself, which hopefully you can like explain what you use and what makes the difference between the one with lead and various other uh, not good things. Uh, because mm-hmm. As you know, like our body keeps a certain temperature, and that's usually when we break things down over a lot of time. The other concerns that me personally that I have, and and these are not things that we discussed before we came on the, you know, to do the interview or anything like that. Um, but the other things that would concern me are things like chipping and then also uh, things like moisture. So can you kind of like touch on each one of those to kind of... Uh, address concerns, kind of explain exactly uh, what prevents them or what makes it feasible and possible for you to do them. Okay, sure. So we'll start with we'll start with the makeup. Clay has been really interesting to me in large part because I I had the realization a while back that the materials that compose a clay body and the materials that compose a glaze are fundamentally the same elements that compose natural stones you know a lot of the uh coloring oxides the metal oxides things like cobalt copper carbonate things like that that are coloring oxides are the same materials that you'll find in stone that give stones their color and stones can even compose sections of the composition of a glaze or of a clay body uh either in their raw or purified form so amazonite for example is a microkine feldspar and it will actually melt and you can't actually use it in a glaze if you process it correctly. It becomes a flux that helps lower the melting point of silica and alumina so that the clay body can vitrify or the glaze itself can um, actually melt and form a glass. So I'm approaching a lot of the ceramic stuff with my knowledge of stone and what we already know is safe or what we're already using in terms of the things that we carve and wear in our industry. So my clay body, which is a a really nice white porcelain, um, it's extremely dense. The absorption rate, so in other words, how porous the material is, is um, along the lines of 0.5%. So at Fired to temperature at what's referred to as cone six, about 2,230 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, The material essentially forms a glass and it can absorb virtually nothing. Um, So porcelain just by itself is technically wearable. Um, My clay body contains silica, kaolin, which is a really fine grain clay. Um, some feldspar, um, a material called nepheline cyanite, bentonite, talc, molite, and water. 
almost all of these things form the building blocks of the majority of the materials, natural materials, stones that we're already wearing. And when this material is fired, you essentially have something that lies between a glass and a stone in terms of durability and how it can function. Just the porcelain by itself is super hard. It's crazy durable. Wearability, you know, it can't absorb anything. It can't absorb water. Um, really, the only thing that can happen to it is if it has any texture, it can get dirty. Like anything else, that has texture because stuff gets stuck in the really fine grain unless it's been um, polished. When you add a glaze, as long as that glaze is safe to wear, you're then adding a layer of glass over the porcelain. And this makes it essentially impervious to moisture, to chemicals, to anything that you could really throw at it. I mean, we're talking wearing sort of industrial, and you wouldn't use a porcelain for this, but industrial, you know, tableware in terms of how sort of inert and hard um, and just usable and functional the material is. The glaze uh, that's on my wearing surfaces is composed of silica, kaolin, nepheline, cyanite, talc. So a lot of the same materials as the clay. A material called elastinite, which has some silica and alumina in it, and a calcium borosilicate glass grit. And so that's essentially the materials that have already been fused into a glass and then ground down to a fine powder, which allows it to interact very predictably with all the other ingredients in the glaze. So as a base, Again, it's inert. There's nothing in it that could really react with anything. The silica, the kaolin, you know, the talc, the calcium, all of that stuff is in the stones that we're already wearing. The glaze itself as a borosilicate glass layer over porcelain is extremely similar to borosilicate glass jewelry. Um, and as a matter of fact, a lot of the same metal coloring oxides, like the cobalt, for example, are in large part what give glass their colors as well. So there's a lot of crossover in terms of material between stone and glass and the sort of middle middle ground of ceramic. Yeah, I think you touched down on a lot of things that obviously addressed my concerns. Uh, I, I know that I'm not the only one, but when we think of things like porcelain and we think of things like clay, I personally, I think back of like pottery that I've made and I've dropped it and smashed it. And it's it's very different. It's the what I believe you are producing is more akin to a coffee mug. Like it is solid. And I, I can't be the only one here. How many coffee mugs have you dropped in your life and how many have actually broken? Uh, <laughs> I I have maybe broke two and probably, I don't want to admit how many I've dropped full of coffee that I've knocked off the counter, but it's one of those things where I think you hear porcelain and you automatically associate it with fragile or I need to be careful yeah. with this. And let's, I, I know it's kind of gross, but let's be, let's be real. Like toilets are made of porcelain and you like plop down and sit on them all the time. And when was the last time you heard a toilet broke? You know, that's yeah. not the plumbing, you know? And it's, it's such a weird way to describe it. But I, I think they're, I think we naturally associate porcelain with fragile, like that's expensive. Don't knock it over. And that could just be me. Uh, mm -hmm. But clearly that's that's kind of not the scenario in which we're in. And I think the other thing that you touched down on, which is which is very interesting, is basically you are 
doing like a combo type thing where it's like stone coated in glass and we wear both stone and glass. And those are things that have been in the industry for as long as I've been alive. So I, I think it's very interesting. It's just a, like I said, it's to me personally, it's a very new material, even though as you uh, admitted that it has been around for a bit, it's interesting to actually break it down and discuss what makes it impervious to, you know, moisture and things like that. I, I really, I'm really excited about this because it's, it's a new material. I get to geek all geek all over it, but um can with without giving away any trade secrets or anything like that can you talk about how you're actually making these because i i think in the last episode we actually talked about it or maybe we talked about it after we stopped recording but my wife and i had gone to and i'm once again air quotes throw clay and did a <laughs> class yeah. i'm terrible at it terrible <laughs> terrible terrible <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm very good at like, you know, from painting all like the little miniatures and stuff. I'm very good at very small, precise, like stroke type things. But trying to make something with gorilla hands did not go well for me personally. Uh, my wife did very good, but but not me. But um, it's such an incredibly difficult, difficult skill set to master because it is so... And and like, like I said, this is my opinion. You apply just the small amount of pressure in just the wrong spot, and you basically go to like uh, flippy floppy, and then it like just falls over, and then it's like throwing <laughs> clay all over the room. Or how do you go about making things so small, like plugs, into something? Do you do you throw it like normal clay? Do you grind it down like stone? Like how how are you going about doing it? And like I said, you know, no trade secrets, but like a generalization of how you go about doing it sure before i talk about the process i just want to mention a really unique characteristic characteristic of clay um which is one of the things that allows me to do this and to to be accurate about it so you mentioned different processes carving down um you know i've turned wood in the past so lathe work um hand carving all of those things can happen with clay but what's unique about clay is it's the only material i've ever used that that exists in multiple states so just like water exists as water h2o as well as a gas as well as a solid in the form of ice i can work clay when it's liquid when it's soft and malleable when it's what's referred to as leather hard when it's bone dry after it's had its first bisque firing and at vitrification which is when it's been fired to full temperature so that's six different unique states where the material has different physical characteristics and allows different kinds of processes to be applied to. so the displays are slip cast with what's called a slip which is essentially a liquid slurry of clay um, so it's a state that allows you to pour it which is pretty amazing when it's soft you can extrude it you can use press molds you can cut it with wire which is unique you don't just have to use a straight blade and you can color it in that state when it's leather hard you can hand carve it you can lathe turn it which is super unique um both between centers and face turning which is kind of wild um and you can actually inlay into it with other clay or other colors um and so on and so forth so with that in mind 
the way that the process works for making plugs is really pretty simple, but there's an insane amount of math and a very intimidating spreadsheet that I have to give full credit to my wife for crunching because I am a math idiot. Oh, same here, bud. <laughs> um, there's a ton of steps and there's quite a bit of waiting. But the difference between making these and making a pair of stone plugs is that it makes sense for me to make these in batches so that I can work all of the steps together versus carving in stone where I really am just working one thing from start to finish. So it's a completely different way of looking at a material. The first step is just to make cylinders, long cylinders that are the diameter that we need to start with so that at the end of the 13.5% shrinkage rate for this clay, it ends up at the final size for your piercing. Um, from there, we have to dry it just enough to handle it. And then it's cut into individual plug pieces um, to link to accommodate convex faces, uh, concave, you know, whatever it needs to be. And then it dries again. So we're going from there at the soft stage uh, onward to leather hard where it can be worked even further. If it's concave uh, or if it's a larger piece, actually chuck it into the truck on the lathe and face turn it with wood turning tools. It's a really unique material to turn because it doesn't have a grain like a wood does. So um, it behaves very predictably. And if it's just the right dryness, it cuts like a dream and actually ribbons right off the tool, um, which makes me very happy to see. And it's also really fun when those little crusties are dry, all spirally. Um, <laughs> So if it's concave, it gets carved inward. If it's a larger convex plug, I'll go ahead and put the convex faces on the outsides. And then they all get set aside to dry, to bone dry. They have to be completely dry before they go into the kiln for their first firing. Or any moisture that's inside will boil. And there's a really good chance that the pieces will crack. Um, so once they're bone dry, I load a bunch into the kiln for what's referred to as the bisque or biscuit firing, which just sort of starts the vitrification process and turns it from a very fragile dry clay into something that's more like a really soft stone. Um, that temperature is about 1,945 degrees Fahrenheit. That firing takes, depending on what cone I'm firing to, six, seven hours, and then it usually takes I would say between four and six hours to cool before we can open the kiln and look at what's inside. Um, once everything is bisque fired, then I grind the cylindrical blank down to the size it needs to be for the flares and grind the wearing surface. And what's wild about this stage is that this clay has an average shrinkage rate of 13.5%. So from whatever size we make the cylinder when it's wet, it will shrink 13.5%. But it doesn't happen in one jump. It happens across each one of these stages from drying out to being fired, etc. So we had to calculate based on testing the shrinkage rate at every stage of this material being worked to figure out at what stage each process that we needed to do to it needed to happen. So after the bisque firing, 
and then carving the wearing surfaces down um, to be the right size, which is larger than needed, so that after the glaze firing, it shrinks down to a final size that will actually be what we intended. After the flares and the wearing surfaces are ground based on our spreadsheet numbers, um, that happens on the stone grinding equipment. The stuff gets cleaned um, really thoroughly to get any excess dust, et cetera, off of it, and it gets set aside to dry. And then once everything is completely dry, we glaze it. So right now for the glazes, the glaze that's touching the skin, the wearing surface, is a glaze that I have formulated from a recipe that I found and modified. Uh, it's a clear. So all of the color fonts, which are what we're releasing first, have color on the face, clear on the wearing surfaces, and then around the back flare, and the very middle of the rear is bare porcelain. We do that first because I think it's amazing to feel. Um, and you have some, so you can speak to that as well. Oh, and yeah, we're, we're going to go into that. Don't you worry. <laughs> and then we need to have a surface that's unglazed to contact the kiln shelf. Um, glazes will fuse to the kiln shelf itself. So that gets messy and involves grinding of both the piece and the kiln shelf. Um, so to avoid that, we just go ahead and leave the very backs in the middle and glazed for the time being. Once everything is glazed, it's fired to about 2,230 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty wild to think about. That firing usually takes between seven and nine hours, depending on how full the kiln is and the program that I've entered in, in terms of how fast it's ramping up to temperature and then how fast it's cooling. And then from there, it has to cool, which takes about the same amount of time. So for every glaze firing, it's basically about 24 hours. So we'll start it one day, and then sometime late in the next day, we'll be able to actually open the kiln and see what was successful. There's always a loss rate. There's always something going wrong, which gives me more opportunities to test and iterate. So it's it's really a wonderland material for me. It definitely keeps me busy. Once stuff comes out of the kiln from the glaze firing, if it doesn't need another coat of, of glaze or overglaze, um, it's done. From there, once it's cool, it can be handled. Um, we measure everything to make sure it's the right size and verify you know, that there aren't any duds with um, you know, glaze, de glaze defects or anything like that. Some pieces, including special pieces that we'll talk about later, um, need a third firing. So we overglaze those with a special material and then throw them back into the kiln for a third final firing at a lower temperature, somewhere between 1100 and 1300 degrees, um, just to give some pieces a bit of extra pop. And then after that firing cools, those pieces are completely done and we'll quality check them. That is the A to Z of it. That is so much. I would have given up like maybe stage two. <laughs> and it, and before we, you know, before we move on and discuss other things, I want to make sure that our listeners are well aware of the, and I, I know we talked a little bit about it before, but the sheer amount of not, not only help, but teamwork that came from your wife to get the results of the ceramic plugs you have right now is massive. And that's one of the things that you are very good about making sure that people are aware of and the such, but I just want to make sure our listeners understand that your <laughs> wife 
and you have done an amazing job working as a team to do this. And I, I, I really wanted to see if we could get your wife on, but I understand she's a little shy. So I just want to make sure if she does listen to this, that <laughs> we, not only myself, but our listeners do acknowledge and do know the sheer amount of teamwork and the sheer amount of work that you did that actually goes into the final product. And we really appreciate it because this is really rad. So, um, but I just wanted to make sure that we, we throw that out there before I, completely forget because um as you know my my wife and I are a team and I know uh your wife and <laughs> and you are a team so it's just very important cuz i mean i t- i talk about kim constantly but it's it's one of those things i want to bring up so in case she does listen she does understand that that we know we know <laughs> how much work she's doing so we appreciate you yeah let me let me touch on that real quick if you don't yeah, mind yeah absolutely so my wife is a, is an accomplished fashion designer and knitwear designer and most recently a knitwear pattern maker. She's an incredible maker and has a really fantastic eye for design and color. Uh, and for years, we've been sort of itching to collaborate on something that we could both be equally a part of. But it's been really difficult because of the drastic sort of chasm between our two mediums. Um, your fiber is clean and delicate. You know, she can do most of what she's doing on the couch. Meanwhile, I'm out in the shop and it's just this gnarly grating sound of, um, you know, stone being taken to its death and reborn. And it's super dirty and there's dust everywhere and it takes a really long time to do anything that's really kind of exciting. So it's been really fantastic to get to work together on this project. So she's done the overwhelming majority of the math. I came to her with the variables I needed for this spreadsheet and just sort of made a short-circuited face and whimpered. And she whipped out the calculator and just started going math wizard on me. And um, it's been really fun to play with color, which we both really, really love. Um, I'm pretty well known for liking what some people consider to be gaudy color combinations in stone, really bright, really intense, saturated stuff. It's something I didn't get to play with very much in stone because a lot of those materials are prohibitively expensive or really rare uh so ceramic gives me an opportunity to do that and also gives her an opportunity to apply color knowledge and some design aesthetic to a product that we're both sort of stoked to wear and to provide to other people um so she's been a pretty significant part of the ceramic plug process and she's been doing the overwhelming majority of the glazing lately so that i can focus on getting these pieces ground to size um so she's to thank for the fantastic way that these pieces look yeah absolutely so so yeah i know that you just touched on it a little bit but i want to talk about the three things that make me the most excited uh about these things and i'll just say them all at the same time and then i'll dive into the first one that makes me the most excited so uh the three things that come to mind in in regards to this that I get excited about is going to be first and foremost, the colors, then follow the weight of the pieces, like how heavy they actually are, mm-hmm. and then going over uh, cost of the pieces. So um, you and I both are in the same boat. I like uh, very... I, I can only describe them as like an eighties bowling alley colors, like those like, <laughs> bright pinks, those, those bright purples, like the, the turquoise blues. And it cracks me up because all the little people that I paint, uh, I paint them ridiculous colors like that. And people are always like, what's going on here when you're used to them being like black and brown. 
So um, why don't you go ahead and talk about the colors? Because from my understanding and my personal experience when it comes to pottery uh, and, and things of that nature, the color is like the best part. Even after you've done all the fun stuff, you get to go over and look at the glazes and everything like that. So why don't you kind of give us your thoughts on the way that you go about choosing colors, the colors that could be available in the future, if you have future plans for certain things, or what you can bring to uh, the body piercing jewelry industry in regards to what may not be. Sure. So color has always been a really interesting thing for me. Um, And I wrote a i wrote an article a while back that was a segment from the lecture that i gave at app several years ago about color and how influential i thought stone had been in sort of the human development of our color palette um the sort of it essentially was that stone was really the first portable form of color uh because the uh, majority of the rest of it uh, was either environmental so the color of the sky or the color of the water in a certain place or it was biological, meaning it died. So the color of a flower, the color of a butterfly. You know, it wasn't until we really found stone that we were able to pick up, say, a piece of turquoise and carry it hundreds of miles to show someone else that had literally never seen that color before, which is kind of a mind cost to think about. And there are a lot of really beautiful colors in stone, but a lot of them are really expensive. And a lot of them are pretty rare. So a lot of the Jimmy colors that we like, a lot of, you know, vibrant blues, blue greens, teal, stuff like that does occur in stone. Interesting pinks, pink oranges, things like Paparashka sapphires. You know, you can be paying tens of thousands of dollars a a carat for a color. So a big part of this for me is the democratization of color. The idea that we have the ability to use all these colors. And if we can do it affordably and give the most people possible, the most access to color possible, we can tick off a really big box in what I think is the sort of matrix of, of body adornment and the social relationship with color, the way that we decorate ourselves. Um, it, it kind of removes some of the classism that is inherent in a lot of the materials that of the fine jewelry world that's a really appealing prospect to me and just from the perspective of somebody that's a big visual nerd and just gets off on color being able to just play with color and make new colors and and make patterns and and step out of the box that stone has kind of created in my life has been a really exciting thing for me to do because it allows me to have a little more input or a little more uh, will, so to speak, over what the end result is. Um, I spent a long time being restrained by the palette of stone, which was a good thing. Um, but I just want to play now, and I'm I'm having a lot of fun doing just that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see that. And I I will say when you, I mean, for for our listeners that paint or uh, you know do things like that, they they understand the what I call the I, it's weird. It's like visual ASMR to me, uh, like the mm, creamy yeah. blend where it's the transition from two colors and it's it's absolutely smooth. And it kind of looks like, uh, well, I mean, you can't really describe it. It looks like if someone took a brush and it like partway through, they started to like drop in a new color and it just mm-hmm. flawlessly fades to the 
uh, to the next color. I, I really like that. And I think with you being able to combine glazes on your own and create possible air quote new colors and things like that, I, I think probably as a maker, it's, it's pretty rad because then you're like, I added my own personal touch to this. And now this color is, is, I don't know, uh, like Jared jewel blue, you know, or like something <laughs> like that. So it's, you know, I, I really think it's, I think it's rad. Cause you can, you can kind of relax a little bit more. And that's, that's where this all came from is you relaxing by, you know, doing pottery, throwing clay, however you want to say it. But I, I think it's, I think it's overall just really refreshing to hear how enthusiastic you are about doing something. And you've been making jewelry for how long now? Uh, just shy of 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go ahead and think about that, I mean, most people who have do, been doing a job for like five years are terribly bored of it. And then you are <laughs> three, almost four times that. And you're like, this is rad. I'm doing this whole new thing, like blah, 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 blah. And I, I think it's just really refreshing because it's, it's not something that we get to hear from makers all the time, but let's, let's go ahead and uh, put on the dad hat and explain that sometimes making the same thing 10,000 times or doing the same thing 10,000 times. Like what if you just did nostrils every day for four weeks and you did 10 a day, it probably get pretty boring. And the same applies to, you know, making jewelry and things like that. And of course it's, it's your job and your livelihood and you really appreciate the people that do buy those things. But man, is it a breath of fresh air if you were doing nostrils and you did 400 of them and then a conch comes in we all know how excited we get over <laughs> things like that so it's it's very refreshing to know that it applies to not only makers but uh your enthusiasm really does shine through how you're talking about it so i, I think that's really really refreshing to be to be bluntly honest but uh let's let's move on to to number two here and let's let's talk about the weight of the pieces because think about let's just say like a coffee cup when you pick up a coffee cup it is usually heavier than let's say a glass cup or way heavier than a plastic cup so what can you kind of let us know about the weight of the pieces themselves so i'm again coming from the perspective of stone towards ceramic and with that being said the only comparison that I can make is from the porcelain plugs to stone. So I have a pair of five eighths Virginia Amazonite plugs here. Um, 14.3 grams. The same thing in porcelain. About 12.8 grams. So porcelain across the board is going to be lighter than stone which is going to be really great for folks that um, have elastic ears or particularly folks at larger sizes. It's going to be also a lot easier to make larger sizes in ceramic than in stone simply due to material availability. You know, comparing them to wood or something like that, obviously it's going to be heavier. But in, in the grand scheme of body jewelry materials with stone being sort of what we know is the heaviest material, porcelain comes in underneath that which i think is great yeah especially for larger sizes uh because let's be honest uh good friends that have larger ears can usually only wear stone for half a day maybe only like a few hours because it is so heavy and of course there are exceptions to that rule and some people wear, wear them all the time but the fact that it is lighter but not as light as wood kind of makes this happy middle ground where i think 
you know, like you said, you'll be able to offer them to people in larger sizes. And obviously, as the sizes get bigger, it's going to weigh less than its stone counterpart. So it's really interesting to me because it kind of opens up a new door to that as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, as far as larger sizes are concerned, it also, there's going to be a lot more freedom stylistically. You know, you get big cuts of stone. Often you can't really get picky about the wearing length of a particular piece or you can't concave a certain material because it may break apart or there's, you know, there's a seam looking kind of sketchy because I have the ability to turn porcelain on the lathe in the same way that I used to make, you know, Teflon and Delrin and wood and all of those other materials that are more, um, more widely used in that way. It's a lot easier to make larger pieces and particularly larger, more ornate, more interesting pieces cheaper and with a much wider range of color or pattern than you could find in stone in those sizes. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely amazing. And then let's just touch down on it uh, before we move on. And that is the, the taboo question. So when it comes to the price of the pieces. So the first style that's being released is something that I wanted to make because it seemed so simple, but it's actually super technical. It's just a plain, not really plain, a color front style piece. So it's got color on just the front, kind of spilling down over into the wearing surface, and then it fades to clear. And then the clear goes down over the edges of the back to the raw porcelain in the very center. Those pieces, the size range that I'm working on right now for the initial release is about two gauge to an inch. I do have some straggler sizes in between the most popular sizes, but I'm looking to hit the two gauge, zero gauge, double zero gauge, half inch, five eighths, three quarters, and an inch. As far as price range for those, the standard color fronts, you're looking at a, a starting price of somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 bucks. And the one inch pieces top out under 100. Um, so convex, we're looking at somewhere in the low 80s. Um, concaves would add about five bucks to any of the sizes. So if you wanted, say, a pair of color front one inch concaves, you'd be looking at something just under 90 bucks, which is considerably cheaper than you could get the same thing in stone from a small maker. And then the line as it stands now for the color fronts with the premium fronts runs from about 58 to $120. And those, there's not quite anything else on the market like those aesthetically. Um, so it, it's definitely worth it to me. Yeah, I I really think that those are really nice, sweet points. And I, I know we keep comparing it to stone, but stone can get real expensive real fast and really depends on the material that you're using. Uh, I think it's I think it's a nice kind of middle ground because let's say even a titanium pair of plugs in and a half inch are probably going to run probably fairly comparable to the the prices of the ceramic plugs. And I think that's nice because it offers up a new option for a lot of individuals. Sure. This this pricing, actually, the my primary concern for the pricing was trying as hard as possible to get it close to the pricing that we used to have for the higher end woods coming out of our workshop at one tribe when we were doing wood stuff we had a lot of really beautiful woods um kiln dried ebony some burls and some other things that were quite a bit more expensive than your standard bloodwood and things like that and the prices for these color fronts fall very closely in line 
with that sort of middle ground price range that ended up dropping out of my line when we discontinued wood because my with my current rates right now the stone basics start in the depending on the material the sort of 60s to 80s and that's the high end for these color front ceramic pieces i think it's a good ground like i really think that it's a solid price point especially for the the r&d that went into developing these and that's something that a lot of people possibly could i oh my god here comes dad joke glaze over um because (laughs) because like you know we just we just expect to be like oh this is a thing i would like it please and we don't think that you know it took a long time to create that thing and it's oh my gosh months and months and lots and lots of samples (laughs) oh see i I would just smash everything that didn't make it. So like I, I would just get angry and upset about it, but it's, it's one of those things that uh, we really need to consider when creating a new product and bringing it to line is the knowledge. And actually, you know, this is a really good way to describe it. You know, we as body piercers say all the time, we are worth the price for the piercing fee and you can go to someone else if you don't want those things and so on and so forth. This is the same exact thing. You have spent time to develop it. You have obviously put it through the gambit and then you've brought it to market and it's still at a reasonable price point for the material, the time and all that took to figure that out. So I I think it's really great. And I mean, let's be real. It's, it's about or a little bit more than the cost of a piercing fee. So I, I think it's a really good spot uh, for not only uh, piercers to buy, because a lot of piercers buy One Tribe jewelry uh, quite a bit. Like I said, I own mm-hmm. way more than I care to admit. <laughs> um, but uh, also the fact that um, it's a good price point for clients, because as you know, this podcast covers both clients and body piercers and super fans and all those things. And um there are pieces that I have described as museum pieces or uh, when I go to a wedding, that's the jewelry that I wear and I don't wear it every day because it's I'm terrified that I'll break them. Or there's pieces that I bought. Uh, for example, uh, there are a few Gorilla Glass pieces that my ears will never be the size that I could wear. But oh my like Lord, I bought them so that I can stare at them and have them on display because they're gorgeous and they're pieces of art, you know. And it's it's one of those things where I think it works great for both both sides of the fields because you sell uh, direct to consumer and industry people and you know your clients and our clients. Uh, we all buy through the same avenue, so I th- I think it works out for everyone in the long run. But let's let's talk about my personal experience here because this is. This is something I asked of you, not the other way around. And uh, I did have my doubts when you first told me about it. I was like, I'm not really sure because it's porcelain and I don't know if it's going to work for me and and so on and so forth. And then that's when that's when this conversation really started. And Mm -hmm. through our discussion, it was one of those things where I was like, I want to talk to you about it for the podcast so that we can let all those other people who probably have the same questions, hear it straight from the horse's mouth and understand exactly where it comes from. So uh, full disclosure, Jared has sent me two pairs. Uh, 
uh, both pairs are not the production level quality uh, that he uh, is going to sell. I mainly wanted these so that I could test the material itself. And the reason why is because my skin is incredibly sensitive to anything. Uh, I can't wear glass plugs every single day because uh, my body doesn't like them. And uh, there are certain materials that I cannot wear and I can't use like certain lotions. So, you know, like things, things like that. And I wanted to know one, if I could wear them and then two, if I could run them through my own personal gambit, uh, as we know, my itty bitty tiny daughter, Josephine, uh, is now 14 months and is, yeah. um, like a little land octopus. Uh, <laughs> so she is a flurry of arms and legs and trying to share blocks with me and good Lord knows what else. Um, but, uh, she grabs my ears constantly. Uh, she not only grabs my ears, she sometimes grabs my filter, which is a whole nother nightmare in itself. Oh. Uh, but I wanted to see what would happen. So, uh, you sent me these, I want to say about two weeks ago and, uh, it came at a really good time cause it was right before a weekend, uh, my wife and I are home the whole time and that as a, as a stay at home dad now, it opens up the door for me to do a lot more activities. So I wanted to go out rucking with them, which, uh, a lot of our listeners already know that I do. So I put a whole bunch of weight in a backpack and I basically like fat guy run jog, uh, uh, down like trails <laughs> and things like that in the rain and like in the morning when it's cold out. Uh, so I wanted to do that. The other thing that I wanted to do is I wanted them to just be in there and have my daughter see if she could either knock them out or pull them out or throw them on the ground, which is a common occurrence. Uh, and then lastly, uh, my daughter loves swimming. So we decided to go to the pool and we're usually in there for like an hour to an hour and a half. So on each one of those various activities, the rucking, I didn't have any issues with it whatsoever. They didn't slide out. They didn't fall out. Uh, okay. and Oddly enough, the thing that I enjoyed the most was the rough texture on the back uh, <laughs> because uh, sometimes when I go to check to make sure that my plugs are still in because they do occasionally fall out, um, I'll push them through on accident and then I have to stop what I'm doing and then push them back in and then go on and go forth. So uh, they, they made it through that gambit. No problem. Uh, swimming, I really thought I was probably going to have issues with it because I normally can't swim with plugs in uh, because my because my skin basically says, no, we don't like that, and gets really puffy and irritated. So I wore them in the pool the whole time, and then I honestly forgot to take them out because to me personally, they are very light because I wear things like glass and stone all the time. Uh, mm. And I didn't have issues with them like I did with glass. And that may just be the scenario that I was in and that it was cold weather and they dried up real fast. My, my ears that is, sure. um, but either way it was really nice for that to occur. And then lastly was the drop test, uh, which I am lovingly referring to it as, and that's basically, uh, my daughter has ripped them out four times. Uh, and each time she's pulled them out, I've been like, what is that? And she throws them on the floor. Uh, so, we have hardwood floors. Uh, we have walked outside with them. Uh, she really likes going to the mailbox. So we do that a couple times a day and she likes opening it. It's a weird thing. Uh, but so we did that. And then lastly, I knocked one out in the shower. <laughs> so uh, porcelain on porcelain, uh, the porcelain versus the ground and the porcelain versus the wood. I haven't had any issues and visually I can't see any chipping and I can't see any 
problems with it. And Fantastic. yeah. And the, the big thing that I'm stressing is I'm not trying to be like, these are the greatest thing ever. It, it's more of, I really tried to put them through what has usually caused issues for me in the past because you can drop glass on stone and it's terrifying and you want to cry. If you drop stone on stone, well, I mean, that usually doesn't go very well. I've had it happen once or twice. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And then, and then just overall, just making sure that, you know, like the rough texture back that you're talking about, which personally I'm, I'm really fond of because it's uh, very different. And that always appeals to me. But the the fact that these things could make it through the same thing as the standards we have, such as glass and wood and stone, and they're kind of standing there toe to toe without having issues. Now, of course, this is my own personal experience. It is just how it happened with me. And and let's be real. There's been times where you drop a pair of plugs and you're like, they're fine. And then you go and you look and they're, they're in half. Yeah, uh, they're not it's, fine. <laughs> sometimes it just depends on how they fall or uh, if they just have like a stress line in them or something like that. So that's just my two cents on what happened. And you were telling me that you had a client. I do. Yeah, I have one client who's been testing a, a half inch pair for quite a while. And his sentiment very much echoed yours in terms of the comfort and the weight. He said, these are my words, not his, but essentially that they they disappeared, that they were so light, he forgot about them in a good way, which was cool to hear. He was our first experience with someone other than us wearing this material for any length of time. And I'll also add that the two tests that I've done just because what the hell, I can do what I want. I stood on a pair in the workshop on the concrete floor so i weigh about 170 pounds um i stood on them on their sides so on the flares they were fine um and then when i was down in Asheville, beginning of this month uh no end of last month whatever um i was down visiting um alan and the folks at bella in Asheville, and while i was standing on their sort of front stoop i through a half inch concave plug, I don't know, 30, 40 feet out into the parking lot um, onto asphalt, and it was fine. It bounced and rolled, and you could have wiped it off and put it back in. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. So they're not just, you know, indestructible, but you're going to have to try pretty hard. Yeah, it it is, it is super interesting, especially because I can just imagine you and Alan sitting on the the stupid Bella, which I, I love that crew and that shop and everything like that. And I, you two are crazy people in my book because you both show <laughs> like you like flying down the mountain on bikes and it's like in the middle of the night and thing. No, thank you, sir. But uh, <laughs> it's, I could just imagine the two of you just being like, Hey, I wonder if we threw this, if it would break. Cause if it breaks, yeah. like now I know. And it's just you and Alan just sitting there throwing plugs across the parking lot. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely an interesting thing in my book, but um yeah, like I said, those are, those are experiences that you've had, and then the experiences that um, I had are just a very small niche of those experiences. Obviously, when they come to market, uh, we'll have a greater range of individuals, and uh, if there are things that pop up, I guarantee you'll address them super quickly because I probably bet that you probably won't sleep if something weird happens so um, oh, that's absolutely true yeah i mean this is this is i don't want to say it's an experiment but it is something new and the 
the sort of test and redo the iterative nature of the medium itself gives us a chance to constantly go back to the drawing board and say, okay, we can tweak this, we can tweak that, we can fix this problem, you know, or this is something that people have been asking for. We're really excited about it going forward. Stylistically, there's going to be, you know, things like flowers coming. A lot of the stuff that I've done before and other materials, I'm really keen to do in porcelain, you know, where more colors are going to be coming, limited colors, interesting runs, um, a pattern, things like that. A lot of this is going to be the more feedback we get, the more people who are amped on it, the more stuff we can do. I'm really excited to see where things are going to eventually head and the the things that come out of it. But uh, that's actually a really good thing to talk about uh, the launch of these because we've been talking about them for an hour, but haven't talked about when you can get them or where you can see them and everything <laughs> like that. So uh when do you plan to launch them? Are there certain colors that you're launching with? I am extremely excited for the fact that you're coming out with uh, front. Bum, bum, oh, they're so like, good. Uh, they're so amazing. I I wish that I could share them, but obviously I can't wait for you to put it out into the universe of what they are because holy crow, I think you have really knocked it out of the ballpark with those. They've actually made it to my Christmas list. Uh, my wife asked me what I wanted and they're right on it uh, because frankly, it's amazing. And they look, they look exactly what I've wanted for a long time in regards to that color style, however you want to put it. So sure. Yeah. It's, it's a really wild thing. They're as fuck. There's a lot of it. I'm super, super amped. I think people are going to, are going to flip out a bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. So when when do you plan to launch them? So we are launching on um, 11-29 on Black Friday this year. I do not normally do Black Friday stuff. Um, I don't care about it at all. And as a matter of fact, for several years, not this year, but in years past, we've done sort of anti-capitalist stuff where we gave people discounts in exchange for making donations to nonprofits and things like that. But we had this project rolling out and it seemed like as good a time as any to go ahead and drop something new when people were looking around for rad stuff for themselves and others. So we'll be launching color fronts on black Friday. I believe we had decided on uh, 12 o'clock PM noon Eastern standard time so that you folks on the West Coast will hopefully be awake. We'll be launching with several colors, um, really beautiful pink, a really nice sort of periwinkle, a really beautiful light blue, a kind of bonkers chartreuse, a really nice um, sort of mid-tone green, like a seafoam, black, uh, sparkle black, and of course the outrageously... Um, the size ranges, as I mentioned before, will be essentially... The most popular sizes from two gauge to an inch with a couple of sort of seven sixteenths, nine sixteenths sprinkled in there as well. Um, and then larger sizes and more ornate stuff will be coming later. We're on it. We just have to do a shitload of math and a lot of testing in order to get them to market. So we're focusing on the most popular sizes um, as defined by the results of the body modification consumer survey that was put out earlier this year. Can I just, just want to throw in a side note here. I cannot imagine the math of trying to figure out shrinkage on a teardrop. I think 
my brain would ooze <laughs> out of my ears onto the floor because uh, I know Andy Dunn constantly posts how to do it. And every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to to do that because, oh, God, no, because I'm, I'm terrible at math. Maps yeah, so this is even harder. In addition, in addition to measuring every stage by circumference, you've got the shrinkage rate, and it's wild because the shrinkage is not even across the sizes. It actually differs the more mass you have. So the numbers are completely different in terms of the shrinkage ratios from, say, two gauge to an inch, and then from an inch to two inches, etc. Um, so we essentially have to do the math and then physically test the math for every single size. And that's the reason that they're coming slowly. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, no, no way imaginable. I would be like, these are fine. And then you put so much time, like hours of firing them up and things like that. And then just to have them not be the right size, it would just be infuriating. I, I think it's hilarious that it is a relaxing thing for you. And for me, I'm like actually getting anxious thinking about how bad I would mess it up about 50 times before I understood how to do it. So I'm going to leave all that stuff to you, uh, which the is thing great. The really satisfying about the process is that they are fun to break. Oh, so I can if definitely ever see there that. is that feeling of like, I hate this right now, you can get it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly feel like we covered a lot of things here and I'm really excited about this and excited how this episode is going to go out before Black Friday so that people can kind of listen to it and hear about it. Why don't you go ahead and let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and your website that these are going to launch on? Uh, because you've kind of posted like a few teaser images and um, that way some folks can search them out and then make sure that they uh, have all their ducks in a row for when you launch at noon on Black Friday. Sure. I've been posting teasers. Um, I will be continuing to post different colorways, different views, et cetera, up until the day that we launch. You will not be able to see the unless you subscribe to the newsletter, which will, uh, which can be done through the website. The social media, if you'd like to continue following this project, is at One Tribe Jewelry on Instagram. That's where most of the fun eye candy happens. The website, One Tribe. That's O-N-E-T-R-I-B-E dot net. Um, the online store, you can subscribe to the newsletter there. Just click the link at the very top of the page. And on either the day of or the day before, the newsletter will go out. It will announce that they are live and showcase um, the <laughs> and images for the first time. Yeah, that's that. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with me through Instagram, send me a message, or you can email support at onetribe.nu, and I'll be happy to answer any questions you might have about these, um, the product, the physical materials themselves, or really anything else. Yeah, and one of the, I'm going to just go ahead and, and speak for you here. If there is feedback or certain things you're looking for or anything like that in regards to the plugs after you've had them for a while or what you'd like to see, please make sure to send it to that support email uh, so that Jared gets the feedback too. Please, please, please. I like... I like feedback. I like interacting with people that I usually don't get to see because we're in different places doing different things. Um, so that is very much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I need to make sure I got my finances in the row to pick up some of those plugs. And then, uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be talking to you shortly. Tell the missus thank you so much for 
being one half of the party here. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I hope everything goes well. And please don't get lost in the woods with Alan the next time you go to Asheville. Oh, it's going to happen. Oh, I know. I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Will. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you, bud. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation, but also enjoyed my powerful dad puns, including the episode title. All terrible jokes aside, I'm really glad Jared came on to talk about this. There are a lot of questions about the material and a lot of mystery. This episode has been a long time in the making, especially because Jared surprised me with a package just because every time we talk, we discuss a lot of nerdy intricacies that go into creating jewelry. I told him I'd love to do an episode about it because I have questions. And if I had issues or concerns, I wouldn't hold back because I feel that would jeopardize the integrity we have here on the podcast. Jared, knowing this, told me if I had questions or concerns to hold off and ask me on the podcast so the reactions were genuine. As a piercer, I really appreciate this because it shows full faith in the product you produce, but also full transparency if there were any issues. So you folks obviously heard these wonderful Super Mario coins throughout the episode. We kept the details about the most exciting thing coming for this release hidden. I strongly advise signing up for the newsletter and checking these out. Mark my words. These will absolutely fly off the shelf. And because these are handmade, there might be a little bit of time between restocks. So scoop them up if you can. If you have questions about the plugs, have feedback after you receive them, etc., etc., please don't hesitate to contact OneTribe. Feedback, good or bad, is something people like Jared find incredibly helpful and helps shape changes and future plans. You can find links for Jared and OneTribe in this week's show notes. On a more personal note, Will, where is part two of the series you started last episode? Well, to be frank, I only received a few responses because I forgot this time of the year is very hectic with APP board nominations and the upcoming holidays. I'll be returning to this in the near future, and didn't forget, but I don't like to dial it in for anything. So once I have a number of responses that I'm happy with, in both length and content, and by content I mean well thought out, we'll have the second episode out. As always, I want to thank all you wonderful folks for liking, listening, and subscribing to the podcast, especially all of you that have left reviews on iTunes and the Google Play Store. This is how the podcast continues to grow, and it's seriously amazing seeing how many listens we get on each episode. If you want to help us out by doing more than just listening, consider joining our Patreon to join our ever-growing community of supporters. In addition to that, you can always leave us a review on iTunes or Google or wherever you listen to the podcast. If you want to join our Patreon community, head over to patreon.com slash realtalk, a piercing podcast. I would also like to thank our ongoing sponsors of the podcast. Their continued support of our podcast helps to ensure the quality and content episode after episode. Since 2004, Punk Medics has been on the cutting edge for tattoo and piercing aftercare for the body modification industry using only natural botanical ingredients. Not only are their products premium quality in every sense of the word, but they also strive to use sustainable ingredients and have a minimal carbon footprint. One thing I want to point out to my studio owners and piercer listeners is that Punk Medics can actually create custom labels that are just for your studio and reflect your branding. They can work with you to create something that reminds clients of your studio, but also to be an eye-catching product for your customers. Reach out today and see what they can do for you. 
To check out this amazing company and its line of organic piercing and tattoo products, visit punkmedics.com to order directly or use their handy store locator to find the nearest shop by you. Our final sponsor for this week's episode is from our California family, Amory Body Arts. Amory Body Arts is owned by the amazing team of Adam and Shelby Richens. They are committed to providing the safest, friendliest, and most professional piercing environment in Santa Cruz, California. Their staff is the only people I trust in the area to send clients and listeners to. If you haven't had a chance, go check out their social media. They're always active, show a lot of the behind-the-scenes shots, and to be honest, a lot of the adventures they have with their staff. For all your piercing and jewelry needs, make sure to visit our friends at Amory. Give them a follow on social media under Amory Body Arts. You can find more information about these companies under the Sponsors tab on our website, realtalkapiercingpodcast.com. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.